Hello and welcome to Screenwalkers, a brother-sister podcast where we, the walkers, tell you what's on our screens. My name is Becca. And I'm Josh. So Josh, uh, after a long sojourn into my side of the bracket today, we are finally returning to your side. How do you feel? Uh, Kind of conflicted. This side, I definitely like... When I was doing this, I did it from the top down, and this is the bottom half. So, to a little bit of an extent, I was starting to dig up some of the dregs of my... So that's kind of why I I cheated a little bit, and I put in those four Marvel movies. That's okay. So our top one is Ant-Man and Doctor Strange. Why did you pick those two? Ant-Man. Well, so here's the thing. Um. I've told I've expressed my opinion of about Star Wars on this podcast before. I actually don't know if that's ever made it's that that's made it through the editing. Marvel is kind of this in a similar way where it's sort of become the case that all of the movies feel like a seven to me. They're they're good, they're entertaining. It's the same bowl of Captain Crunch every time, you know? Especially when, like, you know, you keep coming back and you you might start rewatching them after seeing them in the theaters for the first time. Because every time a new one comes out, you know, it's a big it's a big spectacle and it's a big thing. But then over time, you know, you go back and you start watching them all of them in a row, and it kind of it's very much the same thing, right? And it's mm-hmm. good. I'm not saying that it, that's a bad thing or that that's bad. Obviously, it's done very well for the company, and they've made a lot of good stuff including billions of dollars that should i think that's yeah. like the thing that we should highlight the most is that of all of the things that marvel has made billions of dollars is the biggest one <laughs> <laughs> they have made a lot of money that's the big thing that they have made but there is some standouts right where you get kind of the right creative team uh you get the right directors and the right actors in a room together uh, and the right writers, of course, and you kind of let it work. Uh, you see a little bit of where Marvel takes does some hands-off approach and just lets them kind of be weird and wacky and creative, and they make some really cool movies. So I think that was one of the... F- Actually, Ant-Man was one of the first movies that was like this. I remember Ant-Man being such, like... I, I use the term sleeper hit a lot. It was really kind of a sleeper hit, though, because, like, of, like, all of the films in, like, the second, like, thing of the MCU, like, it, we were mostly getting sequels, right? And then they were like, yeah, we're doing Ant-Man, and everybody was like, well, who's Ant-Man? And, like, and everybody was like, okay, well, you know, uh, Paul Rudd's all right, and then they released the trailer really, really small, which was funny, and everybody was like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll go see it. And then it was so funny and such a change from what the MCU had been so far that everybody loved it. Yeah, uh, it was. Everyone's like, "Oh, this is kind of weird." And you know, he's not one of the. I would. I. I think before Emma came out, he was even like a C list or a D list character. You know, mm-hmm. he was not a high profile character, and so everyone's like, "Who the heck is Ant Man?" That sounds so goofy. Uh, and then this movie was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was great. So it's a 2015 American superhero film. Uh, obviously, it's based on the Marvel Comics characters of the same name. It's directed by Peyton Reed and a screenplay, screenplay by Edgar Wright, Joe Cornish, Adam McKay, and Paul Rudd. Yeah, and it's based off a story by Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish. And you can really see Edgar Wright's influence in this movie, not to the extent that it would be had he been involved in it, uh, I think he actually took a step back. He may have been involved in directing it at some point. Yeah, I think this was the same time he was uh, making or directing or something, The World's End, which is like the last of that. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, he's got a very distinctive style. He's very creative and very... Um, like he's He does comedy really well, especially physically. So I think they were able to make a good... You know, a really good film. So it stars Paul Rudd as Ant-Man, Evangeline Lilly, Corey Stoll, Bobby Cannavale, Michael Pena, uh, T.I. Harris, or Tip Tip T.I. Harris. Anthony Mackie is in it briefly. Uh, Wood Harris, Judy Greer, David Dasmalchian, 
and Michael Douglas. I had to get to Michael Douglas, so I had to go through everyone else because he's <laughs> he's at the bottom, but he's a pretty influential character. So, so the movie's about it's based in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. Uh, after the Avengers, and it deals with a scientist known as Hank Pym, who has found out that his uh, revolutionary technology known, known as Pym particles, which allow the space between atoms to shrink, uh, has been copied or stolen or they've you know that i think what it is is that his former protege is close to cracking the code sort of on the pin particles and so he doesn't want that to happen because his protege darren cross is kind of mentally unstable mm. uh, and could use it in a bad way and so he recruits a uh, a thief named scott lang to help him steal back his suit, and that might be part of why you like this movie, is because it's a heist movie. Uh, yeah. There's a lot but of heist movies uh, on this bracket. There are a lot of heist movies on this bracket, but like when I think of Ant Man, I don't really think of it as a heist movie. Like I think it more just it's like it's just straight comedy to me. Like that Baskin Robbins always finds out, and that whole bit where Michael mm-hmm. Pena is like telling the story through different people, which is very funny. Oh yeah, Michael Pena is a standout. He really um, is. He's so funny. <laughs> I think I saw some news that he has not yet been confirmed for Ant-Man 3, and people are panicking. <laughs> I don't blame him. But, like, have you seen the trailer for Ant-Man? Like, where would he go? Is he going to be shrunk down into the Quantumverse with them? I mean... Yeah, that's a great question. It's kind of become more big story, right? So that you don't really have a place for him i mean they, yeah. they didn't really have a place for him i would say in the second movie that's i think i think that's the second movie's biggest fault i still enjoyed it. i thought it was pretty good mm-hmm. and in the wasp but the problem with it was that it just they didn't all fit together because it was trying to tell a story that was bigger than itself yeah, so what do you think about this movie um yeah, it's funny. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I've been so burned out on everything Marvel for like the past year or so. Maybe even the past couple of years. Like ever since I don't know, ever since Loki was kind of not good, I guess. Cuz mm-hmm. like like I liked um for better or worse, I thought that the way that they wrapped up like the first big like arc of the MCU, you know, with like Endgame and Infinity War was fine and i was like okay yeah like i still like marvel stuff i'm willing to like still be watching it and then like i was watching the tv stuff and the tv stuff is good like wandavision was a standout i think it was a really good choice to do their first one and they did falcon and the winter soldier which is a little bit more traditional but still pretty good um Mm -hmm. and then there was loki and loki was fine for like the first like half of it and it started getting really weird when he, he like met the female version of himself and like started putting the moves on her and i was like why? <laughs> why? Yeah. Like, why any of this, right? Uh-huh. And it just... I don't know. The Loki series just felt really weird to me. Especially because, like, in the context of, like, the MCU, Loki was a huge villain. He was the yeah. big villain for the entire first fight, the entire first phase of the MCU, right? He was the first mm-hmm. big bad that they fought in their first big team-up. Yeah. And, like, it almost felt degrading to watch Tom Hiddleston have to do all of this nonsense. Uh-huh. When, like, he's been paid, like, millions of dollars to play this role. Like, they must have mm-hmm. shelled out so much to make that TV show. And, like, it was fine, but it didn't feel as good as it should have been. Does that make sense? Like, Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. And then, like, I don't know. There, I've just been falling off of the wagon with Marvel stuff. Like, I still haven't seen... Miss Marvel, I still haven't seen She-Hulk, which, like, I've been meaning to, if only to, like, give the finger to the haters, because mm-hmm. screw them, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I don't know, it's been, like, the kind of the same thing with Star Wars, too. Like, after the big disappointment that was uh, The Rise of Skywalker, like, I just, I almost don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> even if people, like, people keep saying this and stuff. Anyway, but, like, that's kind of besides the point. Apropos of all of that, I've been finding that like that burnout of Marvel movies is kind of like infecting my memories of what the Marvel movies were too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, 
Yeah, it's kind of. Like, I like it. Like it's effect. good, but it's just the same BS that it always is, right? You've got a guy who has some powers and has a problem and goes and fixes his problems with his powers. But like with with Ant Man, it is a little bit like spicy, like not spicier. I guess like they've shaken up the formula a little bit. It is a change that Scott Lang is a father. It's also mm-hmm. a change that it's Scott Lang and not Hank Pym, which is kind of fun. Um, and he's like a convicted felon, whereas like I don't know, like with all the original Avengers, like with Iron Man, you've got kind of like this, you know, rich playboy who wants to play hero. You've got Captain America, America's former golden boy. You've got Thor, who is a god and is expected to help people. And, and he's like, a prince of Asgard, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Heir to the and throne. like all of them are pretty. Like, even Tony Stark is pretty, uh, I don't know, it's sincere in his wants to help people. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially, even in the first Iron Man, you get hints of that. Movie, right? Oh, yeah. that, that's the whole point of the first Iron Man, is that he's like, oh, I'm doing things that harm people, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, but, like, with... And, like, Ant-Man eventually turns into, you know, wanting to help other people, too. But it, yeah. it, it's a journey for him a little bit more than it is for everybody else because like he starts as a convicted felon (laughs) and it like it's it adds like a little bit of a special sauce and i think that that's i think that's kind of what surprised people about it is that it was so different it was for the time it was a really big stray from the marvel formula yeah looking back on it now it's exactly the same formula as it always has well it's (laughs) it's, there weren't a whole lot of individual movies at that point right yeah they had made iron man and they had made captain america and they'd made thor and they made the incredible hulk but nobody talks about we don't talk about the incredible hulk and they were all these very like they were new right and very quickly we can realize that they were pretty formulaic in the way that they introduced the character and the hero and now, looking back, that's a very old trope in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? The ideas of showing this hero and how they become a hero and all this stuff. Uh, how they get their powers or how they are able to do this, right? But back then, it was a cut pretty, pretty, still pretty fresh. Ant-Man was, and it was helped by the fact that it kind of bucked the trend a little bit. It made it more of a comedy instead of a hopeful action or trying to be like a superhero think piece or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the timeline for the first 10 years of the MCU here. Um, Ant-Man was released right after Avengers Age of, Age of Ultron, which uh, in my personal opinion is the worst of the Avengers movies, even worse than <laughs> Endgame, which I had very, I had some very serious problems with Endgame. Um, it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, but like, so after the Avengers, you'd had Iron Man 3, which was a flop, Thor the Dark World, which was a flop, uh, Captain America and the Winter, Captain America Winter Soldier, which was incredible. Like, the Russes did an amazing job at it. And then you had Guardians yeah. and Guardians 2, and then you had Age of Ultron. Um, so you kind of have this divergent split kind of in the Marvel theory, I guess, from here, where you've got Captain America Winter Soldier, which is going leaning very, very deep and heavily into superhero think piece, uh, political drama, uh, all this that stuff. And on the other side, you've got Guardians and later Ant-Man, which are freshening the formula in their own way by being funny, and like actually like comedies instead of just like you know, Iron Man cracking a joke in a cave. Yeah, I, I think what has happened since then is that all of the rest of the films have kind of been absorbed by the big superhero think piece kind of film, like Captain America Civil War. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I do kind of miss the times when Marvel films, even like the big feature length films that they were released, like not just the TV shows were allowed to be a little bit more experimental and funny, like yeah. kind of in the area of guardians and Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. You know what and I mean? Still, yeah, like the the overarching plot wasn't being introduced so much in mm-hmm. like the smaller movies like it is now, right? It was yeah. still very much like an independent movie and then they would have a team up movie, right? Or they would have maybe they were starting to introduce 
one or two threads throughout the movie, right? Like in this when you have the crossover with Falcon, but that was very much a new thing that was happening. Yeah. And like, and that's kind of been like my favorite part of like the, what is it? Phase four that we're in now. Mm-hmm. Like those have been my favorite things like Shang-Chi, um, Spider-Man No Way Home to an extent. I mean, cause it was mostly focused in like Spider-Man lore, not like Avengers lore generally. Yeah. Um, and now Black Panther Wakanda forever is, which is much m- more focused and like entrenched in its own mythology. It doesn't really reach outside of the MCU a whole lot or outside of Black Panther a whole, it doesn't reach into the other parts of the MCU, which I think was great. Honestly, <laughs> I think it was really good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm burnt out on everything Marvel, but Ant Man was pretty good. I guess I remember liking it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now let's compare that to the film that came out the very next year, uh, Doctor Strange 2016. This is a 2016 American superhero film, uh, once again set in the MCU. This was directed by Scott Derrickson, written by John Bates. Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill, and it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Rachel McAdams, Benedict Wong, Michael Stuhlbarg, Benjamin Bratt, Scott Adkins, Mads Mikkelsen, and Tilda Swinton. Very good. So this movie does a lot of things really well and really right, mm-hmm. and it does a couple of things that aren't so great, and I'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I want to talk about what makes this movie so good. Uh, have you watched this movie recently? Not recently, um, and I'm worried that my perception of it is going to be a little bit tainted from what I remember of the second Doctor Strange movie, Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, which I I'm also didn't like all that much. <laughs> I'm pretending to like sixty percent of Multiverse of Madness. Just never happened. Never happened. Right. Fair. Yeah. I'll pick out a few parts that I liked. I liked that they had Patrick Stewart in there. I don't like what they did to him. I liked that they had John Krasinski in there. I don't like what they did to him. Nope. I liked that, you know, it was kind of (laughs) like they put a bunch of things in there and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then they did nothing that I liked. Yeah. They're like, we're going to. All of it was good ideas, but the execution flopped. Yes. I'd say, mm, yeah. Well, I'll leave it at that. Doctor Strange tells the story of a medical doctor, a brain surgeon named Stephen Strange, who is very narcissistic because he is the best of the best. He's the best neurosurgeon in basically the whole world. He can do anything that he wants to do, right? He's fabulously wealthy and well-known because of this. Um, And he ends up in a car accident that seriously... Uh, disfigures his hands to the point that they won't stop shaking so he can can no longer do what he has spent most of his life training to do. Um, And he runs out of money uh, pursuing options to heal his hands until he eventually finds out that he can use magic. Uh, Well, he doesn't... He he, he initially thinks that it's sort of like a um, the mind over body sort of situation, right? Like uh meditation aligning your uh your chakras or whatever sort of yeah. yeah aligning your your uh the the psychic with the physic right right sure yeah so he doesn't he doesn't really he's kind of dismissive of the idea of magic and so he goes to Kathmandu he eventually finds this place called Kamartage uh and he begins training as a sorcerer uh, in this place where they where they teach the mystic arts is what they call it. So the thing that makes this movie great and what makes it work really well is uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's portrayal of Doctor Strange and the character of Doctor Strange because it's all about him. And that's depicted. So the whole movie, he is very much fighting... I would... You know, because it's a movie, we know the way it's going to go. So I'm going to call it fate. Believe what you will about, you know, fate in your life or destiny, right? Uh, But in the movie, he is supposed to go away 
and he continually rejects that. He is scared of it. He's still proud, prideful in himself. He's still learning magic kind of for himself throughout most of the movie. And that all leads up to, you know, he he's learning things, but he's still kind of just the worst. Uh, he's still a jerk. Uh, he's still not a, the, your typical hero character. And all that leads up to this uh, confrontation that he has with Tilda Swinton's character, who is the Ancient One, has a discussion with him about sort of your destiny um, and how you can, you know, she's been trying to change her life this whole time, but every time that she's looked into the future, she's only been able to, see, she's never been able to see past the point that she dies, which is she's dying right then. Sorry, spoiler alert. She's dying right then, right? And the, she has this discussion, uh, an out of body discussion with Stephen Strange. Uh, and uh, she says, she at one point she turns to him and says, um, you still have yet to learn the simplest of lessons, uh, that it's not about you, right? It's not about him being famous. It's not about, it's, you know, he's, he's a doctor. <laughs> and his whole life has been about how much fame he can get and how much prestige he can get, how much money he can get. Uh, and now it's about how much healing he can have the fact that he's progressing really quickly in certain aspects of Mystic Arts, he's been able to read really quickly. He has photographic memory. With that kind of discussion going going on, the Ancient One dies. Uh, he goes up to fight the Big Bad, who is named Dormammu, who is from a d- distant dark dimension. Uh, and he's like this kind of primeval, like ancient evil being from another dimension. Sort of like a um, a Lovecraftian monster, really, like an like an eldritch abomination, not something that the human Doctor Strange can fight, right? And he, I, this is the part that I love because he twists, he uh, he and you know Scott Derrickson and John Spades, John Spades twist this uh, traditional like fighting the big bad who's. Uh, like ba- basically just like you of Marvel movies and uh, uh, just flips it on his head and he loses <laughs> and he loses and loses and loses and he loses like dozens and hundreds of times but he has this you know there's no time in the dark dimension and he sets them going in a time loop so that he will lose and lose and lose and lose and at one point he says something along the lines of or Dormammus is like, you will lose every time, basically. Uh, and Doctor Strange is like, I know, but I'll save everyone else. So he gets it, like, right? He finally gets it. He understands. It's so simple, but it's so powerful in its message. To be a hero, all you need to do, you don't need learning. You don't need all of this stuff that, you, you know, you don't, don't need power. You don't need the smarts, you don't need this stuff to be a hero. You just need to put others before yourself. So that's, I think, why I like this movie so much. So you've seen both of these movies. I have, yeah. I guess, actually, I haven't let you said your piece on Doctor Strange, so I'll let you say that first. That's okay. Um, I don't have, like, a huge piece to say on Doctor Strange. Uh, I believe it's been mentioned before on this podcast that I was, like, in my very tail end of high school, I was, like, a Benedict Cumberbatch super fangirl. In, yes. like, a really annoying way. And I apologize to anybody who knew me at that point. Um, <laughs> but Dr. Sh- Benedict Cumberbatch was a fan cast for Dr. Strange for a very long time. And everybody was, I remember everybody being so excited when he was finally cast as Stephen Strange. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like it was kind of the first in this cascade of like fan casts that actually came true for Tumblr. Some of yeah. which went better than others. Uh, <laughs> I think Benedict Cumberbatch has proved himself as Doctor Strange. He has, he's yeah, he's job. a great actor. I'll also say, I don't think I don't think that anyone's really done him that great since the first Doctor Strange. Uh, he was good in Thor Ragnarok because he was in it for like five minutes, and he showed that he was a powerful wizard, right? Powerful sorcerer, not a wizard. Yeah. And then he was in. He was kind of just like he's kind of just become sort of the person that you put in 
when you want to express that there's a wider thing going on in the MCU. Yeah. He's he's like the cop slash dad of the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe. He really and is. That's um, not really his role. He's kind of weird. He's kind of a weird character. Yeah. And he doesn't really fit as like the the catch all mentor for half of humanity. Yeah. Uh, I I kind of like him as like a stand in for Spider Man's mentor figure just because like Tony Stark is dead now. Um yeah. and like so he's thought, like they're they're all right. He was all right in the Spider Man films. Um I thought, I thought he was fine in No Way Home. The thing that they did really well was I think his relationship with Peter uh, mm-hmm. And him, like, kind of say, like at the end when he's like, it's softening uh, up, yeah. Like, like we're gonna miss you, right? That was, yeah, cute. That was the cute. thing that they did wrong was like making him an antagonist to Peter and depowering him, like nerfing him so that the plot could work. Because Doctor Strange, like, if you took the Doctor Strange from Doctor Strange and put him in Spider Man No Way Home, he would not have been caught in that way by Spider Man. Spider-Man couldn't, wouldn't have beaten him. That's that's my piece on that. But I think you should go watch it. I think I'm going to make you go watch it because I personally think that this one's going to move ahead. But I'm gonna I'll, I'll let you say your piece about Doctor Strange or Iron which one you think should move ahead. Yeah, I don't really have strong enough of an opinion to defend it either way. I'm okay to let Doctor Strange go ahead, okay. um, and I can rewatch it and kind of try to remember what I like about Marvel movies. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, uh, now for the duo that I will get hate for no matter what I pick. The next film, also in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because I put four MCU films in here, so I didn't have to put any other films in here because I was feeling a bit lazy that day. This movie is Black Panther. It's a 2018 American superhero film based on the Marvel Comics character of the same name, directed by Ryan Coogler and written by Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole, and it stars... Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Gurira, Martin Freeman, Daniel Kaluuya, Latito Wright, Winston Duke, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, and Andy Serkis. Um, I will say, out of all of the independent MCU films, that I think Killmonger is my favorite villain. I think he is fantastic. So it's him, for me, it's him or it's Wenwu. Which one is Wenwu from? Chongxi. Oh, right, 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 of course. I love Wenwu. He is so good. And Tony Leung can act any other person I have ever seen him in a movie with under the table. The way that he's able... Okay, sorry, I'm not going to get on this because we're not judging Chongxi. We're judging Black Panther. (laughs) Black Panther. So it's about titular character Black Panther, uh, T'Challa, who is at the beginning, the prince and heir to the throne and then he assumes the throne in this movie so he becomes the king of wakanda a mysterious next-gen african nation mm-hmm. due to uh it having like the only vibranium on earth i know that there's spoilers for another movie but i'm not going to go there right now so he goes and he you know he's kind of dealing with uh, different ideas uh, from different tribes within Wakanda, and then the black market arms dealer Ulysses Claw, um, who's killed one of T'Challa's friends' dads, uh, is spotted in Korea, and so they go there to intercept him, and they end up kind of being in the middle of this very complicated. It's so complicated because. Like, there's one thing happening, but then, right, because there's kind of like Ulysses Claw and Everett Ross, and they're sort of playing one game of 4D chess. And then you've got T'Challa and Killmonger playing other different games of 4D chess also. Killmonger, like, they're like they're like a level above, right? Where mm-hmm. it looks like it's the standard black, black mark operation, but really there's more going on because Killmonger's actually wanting to get into Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Um... And it's it's so good, and it has a lot to say, uh, I think specifically because of who it was written by and who it was made by, right? Ryan Coogler and Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan and Joe Robert Cole all went into this movie with a purpose, to say something about 
colonialism to say something about uh, black communities across the world. Um, and it's very good at expressing those hard truths, right? Because Killmonger, I think what makes him so good is that he has some very good points that he makes. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's, that's why he's such a good villain, right? Is that he's so interesting and nuanced and also he's right. And that's, that's, that's something that I love T'Challa literally like in the, the afterlife talking mm-hmm. to his ancestors and they're, he's like, all of you are wrong to turn your back on the world. Right. He's been convinced that Killmonger is right in this aspect. There, there's a very interesting conversation going on there in terms of the effects that colonialism has had on the world are not disputed, which I appreciate. Like, it's very clear about the harm that the nations have done to, you know, Wakanda and these other African nations and just black people all over the world. But it has a very, something very, very interesting to say about how to deal with the effects of colonialism mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, like different philosophies that people may or may not have in terms of like how to address this like societally and like even just personally um culturally yeah okay and so we have that movie going up against thor ragnarok do you want to introduce thor ragnarok sure i can do thor ragnarok thor ragnarok is a 2017 american superhero film uh written by taika white or excuse me directed by taika waititi written by eric pearson craig kyle and christopher l yost uh starring Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, Kate Blanchett, uh, Idris Elba, Jeff Goldblum, Tessa Thompson, Carl Urban, Mark Ruffalo, Anthony Hopkins, etc. Yeah, uh, this is kind of another one of those MCU. Like I was talking earlier about how after um, uh, Avengers, you kind of had the split in difference between, um, uh, you know, like kind of like more serious films with Civil War and then the more silly films with Guardians and Ant Man kind of how like we kind of looped everything into being the more serious stuff like even the guardians mm-hmm. is kind of serious now right and ant-man is starting to get more serious but like in even in this era when everything in the mcu was starting to turn a little bit more dark we were kind of starting to gear up for that final fight with thanos right mm-hmm. here comes taika waititi just blasting the wall open with tnt just sending brick flying everywhere with Thor Ragnarok in this breath of fresh air. It was yeah. so good and so funny. And like the way that Waititi is able to bring levity to a series that had been historically one of the more serious ones with Thor and Thor of the Dark World is honestly kind of a miracle. It's in it's incredible. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, and I think you can see that in the way that uh Thor Love and Thunder was like uh, Natalie Portman came back and they got Christian Bale to do it and they were all saying it's because we saw the Ragnarok and it looked so fun and it looked so good and it, it was so awesome right? and it was great I, I have some thoughts about Thor Love and Thunder because I know you liked it I liked it, I had mixed thoughts about it though, um, we don't have to talk about that because we're not talking about it, we're talking about Thor Ragnarok so we can just stick on this yeah. um, and on to Thor Ragnarok, the actual film yeah, so we're, we're actually talking about Thor Thor Ragnarok. Um, so what do you enjoy about this movie? Humor, I suppose. Like, that's kind of, like, the big thing, right? Even in, like, Thor 1, like, Thor is... Uh, he's super powerful. Like, even being banished to Earth doesn't really take that away. And, like, I, I, I feel bad that Thor has to keep... Like, keep proving himself over and over again, right? Because, like, in Thor 1, it was... Like, he has to reclaim his faith in himself to be able to wield Mjolnir. I never watched film two, or I never at least never got to the end of film two. I don't know what the message in that one was. But then, (laughs) in like... I don't think anyone knows what the message in that one is, including the cast. (laughs) Including the cast. Because Uh, we're all burnt out on Thor at the end of that. I, I think I'm getting all screwed up in my order of things, because Thor Ragnarok came out before Endgame. Mm-hmm. And so, um, well, before all Infinity of the problems War. that I had with Thor and Endgame don't exist in Ragnarok. <laughs> it, led, it led directly into Infinity War. Yeah. Like, this film, like I mentioned earlier, it was such a breath of fresh air in an era where the MCU was very obviously leaning into this heavy, self-reflective 
superhero films, like trying to be a little bit more important. Um, mm-hmm. They're self-important, I guess. Um, Thor was a little more, more stoic, a little more Shakespearean. Yeah. Right. Kind of the, your classic sword and sorcery character more so than a Marvel yeah. superhero. Exactly. And the personality and wit that Taika Waititi infuses into this film is incredible. It's so good. Um, like you've got like Thor getting to joke around with Loki as like actual brothers this time. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. like kind of in a way that is hinted at in the first Thor movie before everything goes left. Um, but then in a way that you don't really get in the second Thor movie, hardly at all, which is again, I haven't finished it. It's fine. Uh, (laughs) um, but like you get to see him like, like kind of like verbally sparring with his brother. They crack jokes and it's it's just it's funny and witty and it brings such levity to a character that had always been so self-important and self-righteous um like and it does it without like entirely ruining the character i guess like mm-hmm. it, it's it still feels in character for thor to be yeah. this way you know uh-huh and it's because i think it's even maybe even more more in character than other iterations of Thor, because if, if Thor feels more human, yeah, exactly. He's able to make mistakes. He's able to, you know, not immediately solve all his problems. But at the same time, he's still the powerhouse, uh, and he becomes more of a powerhouse at the end, right? When he learns about himself and learns about his powers. I've I've mentioned this times before. I'll say it again. It's a Taika Waititi special. It's what he does best which is just infusing normal life, the funny parts and the sad parts into a movie and into characters. And it's really good. And I like it a lot. A lot of people I know like it. One of my former roommates thinks it's the worst Marvel movie ever. That roommate is you're wrong. Um, he hates this movie. He's he wrong. Think it, he thinks it does Thor so dirty. And I'm like, <laughs> no, it fixes Thor. It fixes Thor, man. Anything <laughs> wrong with Thor, it fixes. Anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, one thing I will mention that I didn't like about this film is that it follows, like, because it has Hulk in it, it has to pay a very, very, very small little bit of lip service to the part of Age of Ultron that I hated the most. Mm, yeah. Which is the random Hulk <laughs> Black Widow romance. It had no reason to be there. I want to throttle Joss Whedon every single time I think about this. Why? Why any of it? Why? <laughs> like, there was no established relationship between Romanoff and Hulk, like, except for, like, she was the one that recruited him in the Avengers in the first place, I guess. But, like, she yeah. pointed guns in his face. Why would they be romantically involved? Shut up. Uh- <laughs> well, let's go through the list, though. See, mm-hmm. Thor has Jane. Uh-huh. But he doesn't, you know, we don't want to pay the money to have Natalie Portman here. We're not sure if she'll actually come back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Avengers Age of Ultron. And you've got Iron Man and Pepper Potts. Iron Man and and Pepper. uh... So you got Pepper and you can't really mess with that because, you know, everyone likes them. Yeah. You have Captain America who's still pining for Peggy Carter. You can't mess with that, even though they kind of did. Even though they kind of did. The worst I, I have possible. many, many thoughts about Peggy Carter, too. We could talk about that another time. Um, and you have Hawkeye, who maybe would have been actually great for making like a love interest thing happen yeah. with Hawkeye. Eh. Not with not with Romanov. That would they're 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 work friends, right? They're best work friends. Yeah. They're not romantically yeah. involved. Yeah. Um, but like okay. you could have a Hawkeye Hulk romance might be interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, but I'm saying like I'm saying like he kind of is the clear like romance go-to as opposed to the Hulk. I don't know why they went for the Hulk. I just I don't really understand why they needed to have a romance in that movie at all. Like I don't think they needed to. I think that they wanted to. And so obviously, you know, if they had to have one, if Joss Whedon was insistent they have one, then Joss Whedon is insistent about a lot of things. Um, yeah. <laughs> he can bite me. Uh, give, it to, give it to Hawkeye. Make him in love. He can even have like the woman who is his wife be like a girlfriend, right? 
She's worried yeah, about him. Yeah, that would have been cute, actually. Yeah, like, just have this civvy running around with the Avengers. Like, that would have been fun. And then yeah. we wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been such a surprise when they show up and, like, provide sudden character development to Hawkeye in, what was it, Endgame? No, it was before Endgame. What was it? Uh, Civil War? No, they show up in this movie, in Age of Ultron. Yeah, uh, Kate Blanchett also had a really great role as Hela. I'm kind of sad that she hasn't come back at all yet, but, like, she can't because I'm pretty sure Hella is dead. But Kate yeah. just like had so much fun on one role <laughs> in one film, and it was great. So. She was great. The uh, the scene where Luke and uh, Luke Hemsworth and Matt Damon play Thor and Loki mm, was very yes. funny. That was great. Uh, and it also had a uh, uh, Sam Neil. Sam Neil was Odin. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, this is a good film. Um. <laughs> we've talked so, about basically everything besides this film but <laughs> we've talked about so much that is not this movie yep. yeah so much that i need to cut out because it's irrelevant to thor Oopsies. oh well okay so uh in the bracket which one do you think moves forward black panther or thor ragnarok it's so hard because it's dependent on like my current mood, how much sleep I've gotten, like the <laughs> yeah. weather, the current temperature, the phases of the moon, yeah. my zodiac. <laughs> like the if Mercury Mercury is in retrograde or not, if Saturn they're is in retrograde so close. or not. They're, uh, like, they're like they're right up next to each other. This is like uh Spider-Verse versus Prince of Egypt all Prince over again. again right? We've decided that actually pretty quickly. Um just because we didn't want to prevaricate about it any longer than we had to. Um, yeah, mm, that's fair. And I don't know, comparing the two is really hard. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I want to say Black Panther just because I did just barely watch Black Panther Wakanda Forever. <laughs> and I really liked Wakanda Forever. Um, and I, a little side note on Wakanda Forever, it takes the decisions that T'Challa made in Black Panther and like his in legacy it's an entire movie about his legacy not just his relationships with the people around him but also the choices that he made for better or for worse and how they are affecting other people including like this theme that we talked about earlier of colonialism right because the main kind of villains in black panther wakanda forever are villains with air quotes because like for reasons that you'll find out when you watch the movie so i i agree with you i think we should go for black, black panther, panther. I really like Black Panther, and it's I, great. Yeah, and then we get to talk about another Taika Waititi film. Two Taika Waititi films, technically. Look, kind of, yeah, because he's of, in yeah. he's in the other one. He's not really never get creative hand in it, but. Ended. First up, we have the Hunt for the Wilder People. Which did I introduce this movie to you? Yeah, you and Price did. Um, I think it was after Thor Ragnarok came out. You guys went back and were exploring other Taika Waititi films. And well, actually, actually this is this is before Thor Ragnarok came out. What happened oh, was, was it really? okay, yeah. I had I had two roommates in 2019 who would periodically like they would play this movie maybe once a month and they would invite different people from the apartment complex every time they, they would like broadcast this movie out. They're like, this is the best movie ever. <laughs> you have to come watch this movie and they get, they'd get a group and then they would come over and they would watch it. So I watched it then. That was the first time I watched it. And I've watched it maybe like five or six times since. This is a 2016 New Zealand adventure comedy drama film and was written and directed by Taika Waititi. It's actually based on a book called Wild Pork and Watercress by Barry Crump. Uh, it stars Sam Neill, who we mentioned before. If you don't know who Sam Neill is, he's the guy from Jurassic Park. Alan, Alan something. I know because of that meme. Yeah. Alan. Alan, Dr. Alan Grant. That's the Alan one. Grant, yeah. He is Alan Grant in Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And Julian Dennison, and I believe this was his breakout role. Uh, yeah, so he was in two films before this. Uh, and then in 2016, he was in Hunt for the Wilder, Wilder People. And he actually, uh, there's going to be a lot of interconnectivity with these two movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Reynolds saw this movie and saw him in this movie. And that is why he decided to cast him for Deadpool 2. Oh, nice. Okay. So That's he's fun. in Deadpool 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's also in Godzilla v. Kong. Kong. Um, yeah, so Samuel Julian Dennison, Aris Darby. So, uh, Rima Tewaita and Rachel House. Fantastic cast. Love them so much. They're all great in this movie. 
It's about a juvenile de- delinquent named Ricky Baker. Yeah, it's a good movie. Ethan said this is a good movie, so. Yes, it is. Um, and Ethan has perfect opinions, so you know he's right. <laughs> yep. He has no opinions that I am opposed to. Definitely. Uh-uh. Definitely not. So he's a Ricky Baker, is a juvenile delinquent who has been kind of shuffled around the child welfare services of uh, New Zealand. And he ends up in a on a remote farm with Bella Faulkner and her husband, Heck. He kind of starts to have some fun and he starts to kind of break out of his shell a little bit. And what ends up happening is that he gets lost in the woods for a while and Heck goes and finds him. And then because of the way that the situation plays out, it's a kind of assumed that Heck kidnapped Ricky. So Ricky, uh, they go on the run from the police because of some you know mis, uh, misunderstandings and they go and live out in the bush. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. And I think, uh, I don't want to sound like a broken record. Uh, this movie is very earnest about the message that it has. It's very serious when it needs to be serious and talks about serious things. Has things to say about the child welfare system and the problems inherent in it, mm-hmm. uh, the ways that it can be better. It has uh, a message about the way that we deal with uh, formerly incarcerated people, uh, the way that we perceive them in society. Uh, it has a way with the way that we uh, has something to say about the way that we kind of glorify uh, violence in some ways, and the way that we can get caught up in the zeitgeist of a feeling when there's a manhunt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but and it's very, it takes those moments very seriously, but it is able to balance it with some of the most genuine, good feeling, personal comedy I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everything you said applies. Absolutely. And like, I don't really think I have any other notes. You've nailed it. Exactly. It's wonderful. It's Great. so good. Yeah. Cool. So I've right. put this. I've put this movie up against Free Guy. Free Guy, which is so different in so many different ways. <laughs> it's kind of wild that you decided to put these two against each other. Honestly, it was kind of like I don't even know what it was. I think it was the fact that Taika was in both of these. <laughs> okay, uh, so Free Guy is a 2021 American action comedy film. It was directed by Sean Levy and had a screenplay by Matt Lieberman and Zach Penn. And it was stars Ryan Reynolds, Jodie Comer, Lil Rel Howery, and Taika Waititi. I think the thing that is so funny and fascinating to me about Free Guy is that it is so specifically targeting a demographic that I don't think I've ever seen a film targeted towards. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost like, kind of like the newest wave in books right now are what is called new adult books it's kind of like bridging the gap between like young adults and adult fiction right like you've got um like mostly it involves like children at college they're usually a little bit more uh like smutty or risque than books for teenagers are but Mm -hmm. like still not quite as spicy as some books for adults can be i think that free guy is kind of trying to tap into a very similar thing where it's targeting this it's going to be it's a hyper specific demographic of like young adults that watched youtube when they were in like middle school high school ish Mm -hmm. and are now adults in trying to get into like more serious media yeah I think that's what this film is. Like, it's so cool. Uh-huh. Like, it's about video games, but it's not just about video games. It's about, like, the way we interact and interface with video games as people. Mm-hmm. Um, it has, like, a really strong section about, like, AI. Um, and, like, it's, yeah, it's it's so fascinating to me, the themes that they chose to portray in this movie. Yeah, I, there's a big uh, emphasis on... Um... Oh, what's the word when you like copyright something? Intellectual property it has a big focus on intellectual property, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, especially in this society where we're we're constantly making things that are more and more collaborative, uh, and more and more using bits and pieces from everyone else. Right? Uh, that's been a long running debate on YouTube, but the, you know, this movie also really has something to say about the way that video games are being perceived 
in popular culture, right? Mm-hmm. In the broader miasma of people, what do they think about video games? Uh, and how is that different from the people who play them? What are some good ways that people perceive video games? What are some bad ways that people perceive video games, right? What What, what do you think about this movie? I think it was surprisingly good. Um, I kind of walked into it not really knowing what to expect. And I think that's because it was kind of unlike anything I'd really ever seen before. I was kind of talking before about how it's kind of written for like a younger-ish kind of demographic. It feels like it was written for the average Twitter user is really what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> like somebody, like it's clearly, like it's pretty relatable to people who work in tech. Yeah. Um, it, like it has all of these really interesting conversations and things to say about intellectual property. And uh, like you said, uh, like just video games generally. Um, mm-hmm. It's so big in, like it's kind of got that homogenous video game culture like that people that want to have their identities as gamers be solidified in like yeah. so it's got like it had references from all sorts of things right but none of them were really cohesive it was yeah. just like random easter eggs and then um it feels like i don't know i went to a twitch conference <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true at the yeah. same time i do think having watched it a few times that it is simplified enough without talking down to its audience that you're able to understand or get maybe an insight into that community without having to un- like read a dictionary about yeah right. for sure right um like it kind of like it brings it down in a way that is pretty relatable i think to adults i heard like i think mom and dad went to see it and they like understood it um, uh-huh. <laughs> which which is an accomplishment in and of itself i i i think that so you've got the whole like ryan reynolds story right like of like this npc kind of gaining sentience and falling in love um but the real story behind it is the story of that intellectual property and how like you're trying to defend it and i think that this is going to become something that as the internet continues to perpetuate that we are going to see more of this like more reflections on this theme of like how do you protect the things that you create and that you own and in a world that is almost entirely collaborative, what does that mean? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's really fascinating. I think that this film does it in such an elementary way, though. Because, like, I don't think they set out trying to have the IP conversation. I think it's the conversation that they ended up having. Just because yeah. it kind of comes with this territory of, like, video game development. And if you're going to do... Video game development with an evil boss, you have to kind of get into, you know, what terrible bosses do with, you know, IP infringement, copyright infringement, um, crunch hours, things like this. So I don't think that those deep and really interesting art conversations are what they set out trying to have. I think they set out to write a funny movie about a video game. Yeah. It's specifically about an NPC, right? You know, and it's, it's kind of the traditional... Yeah areas where it's heartfelt i like that it was kind of a a romance story in disguise between jokey egg kiri's character mm-hmm. uh, i like that aspect of it overall i thought it was pretty good yeah like it's i don't think it has any right to be as good as it is for what it was trying to be mm-hmm. but also i think it's not quite as good as it could have potentially been does that make sense yes it's just, like it's just kind of this weird enigma that was pretty enjoyable to watch, and yeah, I'll watch the sequel, sure. Uh, <laughs> that's about it. Um, uh, it's almost like uh, my my brain is comparing it to the Sonic movie. Yeah, kind have of you seen the Sonic thing, movie? Right? I've not seen it yet. No, but like I know exactly what you're talking about. Where like Ben Schwartz <laughs> did such a good performance with it, and nobody was really expecting anything of it, even though we bullied yeah. him to make Sonic look better. Like, it's like <laughs> it's like that wasn't bad. That was good. I enjoyed yeah, that. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I might watch the sequel. Actually, no, I haven't watched the sequel. But I, I haven't, haven't watched, watched it yet. But okay. <laughs> so that being said, I think I'm going to put older people forward. Okay. Yeah. Totally. You agree with that? Uh, I think it is the much stronger film, definitely. So I'm, I'm allowing it to go. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, you should watch it because it's good.
talking to yeah. our audience here. Our audience of like 19 people, including one person from Belgium. Okay. Yeah, very cool. uh, for our last matchup of the night, we have two pretty interesting movies. You have seen the first one. You've not seen the second one, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So I will go ahead and introduce the first one. Yeah. The Tiger Hunter is a 2016 American comedy film directed by Lena Khan. It was written by Lena Khan and Samir Gardesi, and it stars Danny Pudi, John Heater, Rizwan Manji, Karen David, Iqbal Thiba, Sam Page, Parvish China, Michael McMillan, and Kevin Polak. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. So the Tiger Hunter focuses on the story of a young Indian man named Sami Malik, who is played in his adult form by Danny Pudi. Um, and he is an electrical engineer uh, in India, and he doesn't have a whole lot of success. It's like in the 70s, I think 1979 is yeah. the year that it's set in. And he goes to the U.S., in hopes to get a better job, to have a better life, right? So he can have more money and not be stuck in 1979 India. And he kind of has a culture shock that he has to adjust to. Um, the thing that really stood out to me the first time I watched this movie was how at every point that I thought there was going to be an awkward confrontation, it sets up all of the beats of a traditional comedy film with the awkward moments that I hate. It's like the cringe moment, right? And then it subverts it, right? So, for example, when Sami Sami's pretending to be someone else in a house to impress the woman he wants to marry, his father, who's like a five-star general in India, and you would expect at any moment, oh, the the family's going to come home and be witness to this, and then he it's it's going to be the jigs jigs up, and he's he's been caught, but instead he comes forward himself. He confesses himself. He says, you know, this isn't who I am. And uh, I'm I'm presenting a lie for you guys. And I thought that's so good. I love that so much. I think that specifically was one of the things that stood out most to, about this film for me. Because, like, as much as I love a good comedy film, there are so many comedy films that rely so much on cringe factor. Yeah. I get so uncomfortable watching movies that rely heavily on that cringe factor, though, because mm -hmm. it just it's too relatable. <laughs> like, I just I do too much cringing. I am a very cringy person in real life. Like, I am the worst. Uh, <laughs> so watching cringy movies can like I don't want to say it's like triggering. It's not quite that serious but like yeah it doesn't make me feel good inside it makes me feel a little bit icky and i don't really like watching comedy films that rely on that but the way that lena Khan subverts it in this film is she does it in such a way that like it makes you feel good about it like it's such a warm fuzzy comedy and it's great and i love it yeah. um, like it's it's impressive to me because a lot of that cringe humor comes from the character not wanting to take responsibility for their actions when they've made a mistake right mm -hmm. and tiger hunter flips that by having sami malik take responsibility for his actions right and he still has to learn things he has still has to, like that's the other part is there's a big i'm not going to spoil this because i know that i know that so many people haven't seen this movie i should say the reason it's called the reason it's called the tiger hunter is because he remembers his dad who's died his dad is like his idol to him. And he was known to the village for being a tiger hunter and protecting the village. And so that's the legacy that Sami has to live up to. I mean, I won't spoil it, but like there's a twist in the middle that is so good that you totally should see coming. But I was blindsided the first time I saw it. And that's, that's the kind of story in a movie that I will eat up any day. So going up, this is going up against Hot Rod, and I have to confess, I put Tiger Hunter on here so it would have a shot at the bracket, uh, and so I just needed a similar film for it to beat the first round. And I thought the archetypal comedy movie, to me at least, is Hot Rod. Sure. This is so stereotypically, this is Lonely Island comedy at its most refined. However you want to interpret refined. <laughs> <laughs> this is very like emblematic of the traditional SNL 
kind of starter kit, right? Like this is the comedy that they would do on SNL. This is the comedy that you would do getting out of SNL. A very similar film with maybe a little more of an uplifting message is <laughs> uh, Cloudy with the Chits of Meatballs, right? Oh, yeah, stacked, yeah. To the, stacked to the roof with SNL actors it's and like actresses. Random humor, yeah. Yeah, just random and weird and utterly bizarre kind of comedy. Okay, so Harrod is a 2007 American comedy film. Uh, it's directed by Akiva Schaefer in his directorial debut. Uh, there's kind of a lot of this is very much like for the fame that it has and especially now like so many of these people are very 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 famous it was a bit of like an underdog like there weren't a whole lot of people backing this horse I guess does that make sense so it stars well yeah it, it was written by Pam Brady actually it says here that it was uh, originally written for Will Ferrell when he was on SNL, and then that just oh. didn't happen. Fascinating. And okay. so when Andy Samberg was on SNL later, he kind of took it and ran, and Bill Hader, obviously. Um, it stars Andy Samberg, uh, I- Isla Fisher, Isla Fisher? I don't know. Oh, Isla, yeah. Isla Fisher, Yorma Tacone, uh, Bill Hader, stars Danny McBride, uh, also has Will Arnett and Chris Parnell in it. Oh, Lauren was an executive producer. That doesn't surprise me. If it was like a former South Park writer writing for originally Will Ferrell and then later The Lonely Island. like <laughs> Yeah, this is, you know, Lauren Michaels, the producer of SNL. So this is like, this is SNL through and through, right? Sure, yeah. And this is very typical comedy of the mid 2000s. Uh, the basic story, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, t- I'll give you the basic plot. Uh, so Rod Kimball um, is this want-to-be stuntman who just really sucks at doing stunts. Um, and the reason that he wants to be a stuntman is because his dad, who died, was like a super successful stuntman who was working for Evil Knievel, and he died doing a stunt for Evil Knievel. To, like, he was like a test man, basically. He would test the, test the rides and see if it was good. Uh, but his he has a stepfather named Frank and a stepbrother named Kevin, uh, who was played by Yorma Tacone. His stepfather, like, he and Rod and Kevin are kind of, like, good friends. They're brothers, right? They have this good brother relationship. But his stepfather doesn't respect Rod, and Rod will, like, try to beat him in a fight throughout the movie. And Frank beats him every time, right? As this sort of, like, you're not a man yet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has this uh, neighborhood girl played by uh, Isla Fisher, named Denise, who um, he's been he's into, but she was away at college, and now she's coming back, and it's kind of complicated because she has a boyfriend. He has some ups and downs, and eventually he gets in, he, he does, he's able to do a big stunt to raise the money. Okay, sorry, Frank is dying of something. Frank, his stepfather. Uh, and so Rod's like, we're going to, yeah, so, so Rod's like, we're going to raise the money to get oh he needs a heart transplant to we're gonna get it we're gonna raise the money that he needs to get the heart transplant because i need to beat him before he dies (laughs) so they they try to raise money and they go through some ups and downs um and then kind of the low part of the movie his mom reveals that his dad wasn't a stuntman he was just like a normal repairman yeah and the reason that there's that rod has a picture of his his dad with evil knievel is that he uh evil knievel like stopped at the gas station that his dad worked at one time right always kind of rod's imagination uh this was not like his mom trying to push something on him and she just like didn't have the heart to tell him that this wasn't true until now sure yeah I mean... so he so he's he's humiliated he quits but then he's kind of he kind of is able to come back because of his friends they don't give up on him and say yeah you can be a stuntman um, and then it's revealed that his footage has become popular online and a local AM radio station offers to cover the big, the big, uh, stunt, right? You need to watch it to actually appreciate it, but it's uh, like, I'm sure. I, this yeah, is... uh, that, that sounds like the kind of like almost surrealist, I guess not surreal, just like absurdist kind of humor. Really weird, really goofy. And I'm going to say that Hunt for the World... No, sorry, Tiger Hunter. I'm going to say that Tiger Hunter moves forward. I agree with that. 
that's fine. Tell it's just hand. much more warm-hearted and sincere about the message that it is giving. So that's the half. Hooray! And we're almost done with the first round. Very nearly. It's taking us so long to do it. <laughs> and also, I've been thinking about our, um, like, what's going to happen next with this. I think for the second round, what we're going to do is just we're going to go just rapid fire uh-huh. through them. Um, maybe even just, like, offline and decide which ones are going to move forward there and then watch the ones that move forward. Okay. And then we can talk about those just so that we don't have to watch so many and then we can kind of rapid fire semifinals and finals. Yeah. Okay, that sounds good. Because <laughs> we've already given kind of thorough explanations for all these movies. We don't really yeah, need like, to do it again. again. We, we've talked so much about these movies already. I feel like there's not a whole lot yeah. else to say. It can just be us maybe, it down. We right? can maybe kind of like trim in a little bit about us discussing kind of the two movies as they pair up. Because we, we'll have some odd pairs that pair ups, right? Yeah, there will be some really interesting pair-ups, but I can't imagine that we'll have any, like, much more to say than we have already, so. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll keep it. And I think we can fit most and or all of that in one episode, so. Uh, Thank you for listening to Screenwalkers. You can find show notes uh, at our website, screenwalkerspod.com. That includes things like uh, the link to the bracket we used, um, images of uh, the bracket as it's moving forward. And uh, a link to our theme music, which is uh, Far Away by uh, Alex Grohl, which we got off of Pixabay, <laughs> which I got off of Pixabay. I don't think Josh knows what Pixabay is. That's okay. Um, nope, I do not. Uh, yeah, and thank you so much for listening. Have a good night. Yeah. Good night.